Welcome to Twink's Awakening, a podcast about Nintendo's long-running Sisification Hypnosis series, The Legend of Zelda. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> I'm calling it that because even if you are not already a Twink, if you set out to play every mainline Zelda game uh, to completion, like we might try to do on this podcast, by the time you finish them all, whether you like it or not, and also if you're a guy, you will be a twink at the end of it. This is my theory. I, I appreciate that. I like that theory. Uh, I wonder what has happened to me after like a lifetime of playing Zelda if I've been twinkified, if that's possible. You're more bi now. I'm more bi than I ever was before because famously Link is L- LGBT, like all of all of it. Mm-hmm. All, of the letters <laughs> at the same time, but watch out. <laughs> uh, we should introduce ourselves. My name is Jay, and I am a fake gamer boy. And I'm Stephanie. I am uh, a quote-unquote Zelda expert, I guess. <laughs> yep, that's my quote. Yeah. <laughs> For people who don't already know you well, Stephanie, do you want to talk a little bit about what about this series got you so into it? How did you become a Zelda expert? Yeah, I guess I started with Ocarina of Time, which I know is probably a lot of people's starting point. I was, it was Christmas 1998, so I was seven years old, and the worst uncle that I ever had got me Ocarina of Time for Christmas, so I mean, I guess you know, broken clock is right twice a day or whatever. Mm. Uh, but yeah, he got me that for Christmas and I was super into it. Like I was, I already was a bit of a gamer for age like seven, I guess. I, I had been playing like Super Mario 64 and, uh, Tetris and like Mario on the Game Boy and stuff like that. But I think part of what got me so into Zelda is kind of similar to what got me so into Pokemon, which is, you know how like, I I don't want to call it as elemental as Pokemon is because Pokemon is obviously very, very explicitly like elements and, uh, you know, which element is good against which element and stuff like that. Um, But I just, I think when I was a kid, I was really obsessed with the ideas of like, then this is really funny because if you if you don't already know me, I'm a chemist, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think about I think about elements very differently in that. But I think one of the things that really hooked me was just I was really obsessed with the ideas of like you know how like when you play Ocarina of Time and you get like the medallions for all the different like elemental things like the shadow medallion and like the water medallion. Right. I was just like obsessed with stuff like that. I think that may be part of what hooked me in so much. And then somehow completely separate from that, I became a chemist uh, who also studies elements in a different way. Um, but also I think like the big thing about Zelda that really hooked me uh, on top of that is just that I'm a very big puzzle person so I think like just the dungeon puzzles were really good for me and the fact that it's like a series where yes there is combat gameplay and stuff like that in action but not that difficult I mean it depends on which game you're playing because like if you go back to Zelda 1 yes it is much more difficult but it's a franchise where like you don't have to really actually be that good at 
combat or anything to be able to excel at it and the puzzles are kind of fun and then on top of that you get stuff like ooh a dungeon that's all like fire or a dungeon that's all just like this theme and that kind of thing just really gets me I'm a, I'm a very big um I like to complete I'm like kind of a completionist too so just a game that you can kind of 100% where you get to collect stuff which I know is a ton of video games but Zelda was like the real early one for me that really got me hooked yeah, there's a lot of like tight design in it and like small puzzles. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, not a, not too many moving parts. Yeah, not a lot. And I know that some people will really criticize Zelda for being super linear, which is absolutely fair if you don't like that kind of game, then that's that's totally fine, but I do kind of appreciate the hard linearity that most Zelda games have. Like putting aside Breath of the Wild and kind of a link between worlds, most Zelda games are very much almost like if you've played them a couple times, you can kind of just memorize the exact root of everything that you're going to do, including side quests and things like that, which is kind of... That also is kind of a plus for me because (laughs) I also just love being like, this is a puzzle that I've done before, uh, I I really want to see if I remember how to do it from the last time I did it. So like that, it has a lot of replayability for that reason for me. On top of like on top of all the other good stuff, where like the character designs are really fun and the music is really great and and stuff like that, it kind of all comes together as like. I feel like I've heard it described before where Zelda itself is not made up of a ton of individual, amazing, incredible parts. Like each part on its own is kind of just mediocre. But when you bring all of those parts together, it's kind of like an ensemble of a ton of parts that work really well together and make a solid game. Mm. That's interesting about linearity because that kind of ties into... Uh, the game we're talking about today, which people have called too linear. Yeah, I get that. I, I really get it, especially because this. a lot of people's complaint about Skyward Sword is that there is not a ton of exploration you can do on the surface because you can't even like go between all the surface areas at once. You do have to come up back up to the sky and go to another area. So it does feel like the surface world is a bit more limited than it could be otherwise. But I don't know. I feel like you can break it up in a lot of ways too because there's a ton of side stuff you can do at the same time. I don't know. For me, it's not a problem, but I do see how it could be. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What's By the way, what's your history with Skyward Sword? Uh, I mean, I guess also Zelda in general, but specifically Skyward Sword because that's what we're talking about today. Sure. Well, the big 3D Zelda for me was Wind Waker. Yeah. Like that I really started with. That just looked like nothing else I'd ever seen uh, when I was the age I was when it came out. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that's something you and I agree on, that like Wind Waker is basically just the best game ever made. Yeah, it and, may be my favorite game of all time. <laughs> yeah, so if people listen to podcasts to hear the hosts uh, disagree on stuff, they're not going to find that with us on Wind Waker. Uh-huh. Um, but I never owned an N64, and I never owned a Wii, so I missed a lot of the big 3D games that people care a lot about, like Majora's Mask and Twilight Princess and uh, Skyward Sword. Okay, okay. I never played the original at all. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, and I've played, like, maybe half of the handheld games, um, but I've finished far fewer than that. I'm like a serial game not finisher. 
Mm-hmm. I, yeah, there's a few that I haven't finished. Uh, well, I, I have played almost all the Zelda games, but there's a couple that I have started. The ones I have started and not finished are the original Legend of Zelda, which I've played maybe like a third of. Uh, Four Swords Adventures, which I have played... I actually don't know how much, what percentage of it I'm through because I wasn't looking at like a walkthrough or anything. I was just kind of playing it. I've played like several hours of Four Swords Adventures, but never beat it. Uh, and then I never finished Spirit Tracks. Uh, I, God, I really want to try to not like shit on any of the games too much because like I do really like, uh, I love the Zelda franchise as a whole. And obviously there's going to be games that like I like more than others, but Spirit Tracks just never gripped me at all, which I feel like is maybe an unpopular opinion because I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, Spirit Tracks was like actually really solid and that's awesome. I'm happy you liked it, but there were too many things about it that I just didn't like. So I actually got like 80% of the way through Spirit Tracks. I, I was pretty close to finishing it and then I just stopped playing it for a while and then I lent it to someone else who I don't talk to anymore and now I'm just <laughs> never going to get it back. So, okay. Well, as of recording this, uh, Skyward Sword HD has been out for a couple weeks on the Nintendo Switch and Stephanie and I have been playing it through about the first half of the game, mm-hmm. through the first um, imprisoned fight and the first Tears of Light trial. So I should say there might be some spoilers for that amount of time playing the game, but definitely no like end game spoilers in this episode because like I don't even know what happens in this game at the end. So as somebody who did play the original stuff, how are you liking the HD version so far? I really like it. One of my thoughts about it is that, okay, so when I originally played Skyward Sword back in, I think, I guess it was 2011 when it came out, I immediately loved it. Like Skyward Sword, there was a period in my early 20s when I I used to say, oh, Wind Waker and Skyward Sword are tied for my favorite Zelda game. Uh, which I, I wouldn't say is true anymore, but I do say that I, I do think that Skyward Sword is still really up there for me. It's still one of my, it's, it's probably my second favorite 3Ds. No, never mind. Third, third, sec, I don't know. Really hard for me to say. It's up there as like my second or third favorite 3D Zelda game. Um, what I will say is that when it first came out, I was like, oh, this game looks amazing because I, Twilight Princess, while I do think it is a great game, didn't do it for me in the aesthetics department at all. Yeah, same. Uh, I'm a really colorful, color-driven person, and Skyward, or yeah, Skyward Sword is like this really beautiful, light, pretty game. At least in my opinion, I, I know there's people who disagree, but. It looks really nice, and Twilight Princess had been so dark and gray and green and brown and black, which is really not my thing. So I was really excited for it to look like that. And back in 2011, I did think it also just looked really nice for the time. I tried to revisit the original version of the game, I think two years ago, on like a probably a bigger TV than I originally played it on too. And I remember just being like, oh, this looks a lot rougher than I thought it did. Just because, I mean, it's Wii graphics, right? Like it's, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but I remember thinking it looked like kind of, kind of like, all right, like it's still a good game, but this doesn't look amazing. So when I first played the HD version, I was like, oh, this is what I thought the game looked like in 2011. Right. (laughs) Like this is what, this is what, you know, 20 year old me thought this game looked like back then uh 
And and so f- the first thing that kind of stands out to me is I'm I really like that the graphics look nicer. Obviously, it's it, it's still been updated from a Wii game, so there's obviously things that do look, you know, kind of dated and a little bit like not super. You know, it's not it's not gonna look like an amazing game that came out in 2021 for like the PS5 or whatever. Uh, but I do think it looks a lot better. Uh, in terms of the motion controls, I've only been playing with the motion controls so far. I actually haven't tried the the control stick at all, but I honestly don't feel like there's been that much of an improvement over the motion controls. I kind of feel like I'm having, you know, about the same amount of struggles as I had with the original, which some people was a deal breaker for them. I feel like with me, as long as I'm kind of recalibrating the Joy-Con quite often, and same with the Wiimote, I was recalibrating it a lot, it makes it a lot easier to to get used to and to not make mistakes. Um, that being said, like it, it doesn't ruin the game for me that it's not perfect. There's times when I'm like, really, am I not swinging my sword horizontally right now? Like, what do you think I'm doing? Yeah. <laughs> But uh, I think it also just kind of makes me play a little bit more carefully. But that part of it is fine. Like, if I genuinely did think it was a huge problem, I probably would have just switched to the controller mode, Mm -hmm. which I would probably still like to try out at some point just to see how it feels. Um, My biggest problem with the new controls, because in the original one, there was obviously this was back in the day when Zelda didn't use like a right control stick for the camera. So all of the there, there was no control stick to control the camera back then. It was just all press Z or whatever to get the camera behind you. My biggest problem is that I'm a person, because I've been playing Zelda since 1998 and I'm so used to... I'm still very used to controls from back then. I always invert the y-axis for pretty much everything that I do. Uh, It just feels more natural to me to be having like airplane style up and down controls rather than the way it's uh, supposed to be. And the big problem with this is if you invert the y-axis on the control stick, it inverts the it inverts the sword controls vertically. So if you swing down, it swings up. And obviously this is like completely unplayable that way. So I've left the y-axis the regular way instead of inverting it. And I just kind of have to trick my brain into thinking about the y-axis that way with the camera, which isn't too bad. I can I can kind of do it. I make, I, I make mistakes a lot with it where I'm like accidentally putting the camera into the ground. Yeah. Uh, but, but otherwise it's fine. <laughs> That's so weird that they would invert the sword as well with that. Why would they do that? Like, there's no way that swinging the sword is going to be inverted as well. Like, it's such it's it's such a different way for your brain to process up and down for swinging an actual physical item versus the control stick getting tilted up or down and whether that makes the camera go up or down. Like, that doesn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I've, I've kind of been playing half and half with the control schemes because... To me, like the ideal way to play any game is lying in bed with the screen two inches from my nose. So like yeah. I need the button controls to do that. But yeah. also uh, I've been playing with the motions as well. I feel like you could do a whole podcast just on the controls of this game because there's two separate schemes that like really don't have a much to do with each other. And yeah, and each and, bo- and each of them has like its different strengths and also like things about it that are weird and frustrating and could have been better. Yeah, <laughs> I, yeah, I do feel like they could have 
done some things in an improved way. How is it like switching back and forth between the two of them? Like, do you have a lot of like, even when I switch back and forth between two different games that I'm playing, like I'll go from playing like Hades to playing Animal Crossing and my brain is like, shit, the controls aren't the same here. I press a different button to open a door. <laughs> so is it like, easy <laughs> yeah. to go back and forth between the two? It's not too bad. The, the main problems with the button controls is the right stick not being the camera anymore unless you hold down an extra button. So I'm kind of playing that in like with my left hand in a claw holding down the left trigger just because I use the camera so often, like more than yeah. I use the sword probably. Um, yeah. And then I'm, and then, yeah, and then the motion controls are mostly pretty good. Um, the gyro aiming, though, with ranged weapons, I feel like Tantalus, the company that handled this, just completely donked those up in the motion control scheme. Mm-hmm. Whereas with button controls, it works like gyro aiming in every other uh, like Zelda remaster, as far as I know, where like it stays nice and centered, like your reticule stays centered on the screen, and the gyro doesn't start detecting until you take out the weapon. With the motion controls, it's like detecting where your Joy-Con is at all times. And so mm-hmm. when you pull out like the beetle, Link will just always uh, like flail his arm in one direction <laughs> or the other and start spinning. Yes. And, unless it's not like game breaking because you can just press the Y button before you even take the item out. But still, that's like an extra button press to every ranged weapon use that didn't need to be there. Yeah, I have been, especially with the beetle, because I feel like the beetle is the, I mean, up until this point, the beetle is the ranged weapon I've absolutely used the most, because I almost never use the slingshot. Literally, the only time I use the slingshot is when I want to get beetle's uh, airship to let me in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I do also have the issue with the gust bellows, because I'll get that out, and then the aiming of the gust bellows sometimes it's completely fine and it goes exactly where I want sometimes it will not listen to me at all and I mean the gust bellows is a very low pressure item it's not like you're usually blowing it and like oh shit oh shit oh shit I'm going it the wrong way I'm gonna die Uh, usually it's just like you're you know uncovering an item or something like that but it is kind of like it is a little bit annoying that the gust bellows is like that yeah, but I don't. Yeah, I don't want to just hate on them the whole episode because, like, on balance, I'm I'm used to the controls by now. Oh yeah, no, like I feel pretty used to it, and I guess partly also just it's not it's absolutely not worse than the original game. And the original game, like, you can absolutely give it a million criticisms about how inaccessible it is because there's a ton of people who just can't play Skyward Sword, even if they would like to. And Mm. I think that's absolutely, there's something to be said about that for sure. And so that being said, Skyward Sword is still one of my all-time favorite Zelda games, kind of in spite of some of the criticisms it gets that no other Zelda game gets, like especially with regard to motion controls. I love so many things about this game. I think the one I talk about the most whenever I bring up how much I love this game is that I think that Skyward Sword may have the best dungeon design in the whole series personally to me and like it's killing me because we haven't gotten to the best dungeons in this game yet like we we did play the Lanayru mining facility which is a really good one but like there's some that are coming up for the second half of this which we'll get to next episode that i'm just dying to talk about they're so good (laughs) 
yeah, you've uh, you've always said, or it was either this one or Twilight Princess. I remember you always saying had great dungeons. Twilight Princess has good dungeon design. However, the first, I want to say, the first like five hours of Twilight Princess is what really prevents me from ever playing it because the very beginning of it is kind of slow and I don't really care about it at all. But once you get from the like lake bed temple and on, all the dungeons are just straight up bangers till the end. <laughs> so that's that's solid. It's just, it's kind of rough getting there. Whereas with Skyward mm-hmm. Sword, I feel like it's a bit easier to get started in the game. Like the first couple dungeons are the less good ones, but I still think they're fun. Yeah. Well, uh, I think for this episode, we'll probably mostly be talking about the setting and characters. Yeah. Because... Like, again, this isn't a super informed opinion from me, but it seems like this is probably the best cast of NPCs, like, in the series. Mm. Do you think that's fair? Interesting. I disagree, but that's largely just because Majora's Mask exists. Um, Okay. But you did mention that you didn't really play the N64 games. So I think... I do really like the cast of NPCs here. I think there's a lot of really good NPCs on Skyloft. I'm trying to think of what other Zelda games I might rank higher in terms of NPCs than than this one. Like, mm, I really like some of the NPCs in Link's Awakening just because I feel like that is a very... I don't know if I want to call it a quirky Zelda game, but it's definitely a Zelda game that has a ton of personality. It doesn't have as many NPCs, but some of them are just really funny to me. I really like it's it's up there in my top favorite Zelda games as well, too. But yeah, no, I think Skyward Sword is probably in like the top few for overall NPCs and like the main village town. Uh, Wind Waker is also up there, too. I don't know. It's so hard to say. Well, let's get into the start of this game and the setting. Um, Yeah. So this game does something that, as far as I can tell, only the Wind Waker does in terms of 3D Zeldas, uh, or rather something it doesn't have, which I figure you're appreciating, Steph. Okay. In terms of how you get around the game world. Yeah, I actually really, really appreciate this. I... I really like just flying around. I definitely understand that some people might be like, oh, but it takes so long to do. Like, you want to go from one end to the other. It takes forever. But, like, I don't know. There's so many different little islands in the sky to visit and check out and see what's going on there that I don't think it's as fun as Wind Waker because the Wind Waker travel like my favorite thing about maybe not my favorite one of my favorite things about Wind Waker is just completing the map like going to every single square talking to the fish getting the map and like filling out and then like talking to the people on the island like if there's anyone on the island like that is one of my favorite parts about Wind Waker just the sense of exploration so I do really like how it is like that uh, in Skyward Sword as well Mm-hmm. Actually, I, I agree with everything you just said, but actually what I was getting at is the complete lack of horses in this game. Oh, Z- wow. Zero yeah, no. horses in You're the world of Skyward Sword. You are so right. There is That might make it one of the... Yeah, no, Wind Waker and Skyward Sword, not a single horse to be seen. That might be why I like the 2D game so much too, because you never <laughs> ride a horse in the 2D game. True. 
Yeah, it's wow. like they it's like they made this game for you and I specifically because you have a vendetta against horses. Yeah. And I can kind of take or leave them, but what I really like is giant birds in video games. Yeah, giant like, birds are so good. Like the Helmerock King and Wind Waker is my large son. Uh-huh. Uh, Cass and his accordion in Breath of the Wild is my crush in that game, and I'm not even yes. a furry. Um, <laughs> so yeah, the loft wings. The loft wings being based on shoe bills is such a brave creative choice. I really appreciate it. It's so good. Yeah, and I didn't know that when I first started playing the game back in 2011. And then when the first time I ever saw a picture of a shoe bill, I was like, Oh, so they literally just, they weren't even like, oh, just like real life horses, we're just going to call them horses. They weren't like, oh, we're just going to call them shoe bells. They're like, we're going to take this real life animal, just kind of give them some funky colors, and then we're just going to call them something else entirely, <laughs> yeah. even though it's literally just a shoe bell. <laughs> and and make them like 50% bigger. Oh, yeah, like yeah. No, barely sure. even that much bigger. Yeah. Um, what? Yeah, what I love about them is... Like, they could have picked, like, hawks or eagles to be the giant birds in this game. Like, mm-hmm. something people already like. Or, like, the Japanese crane, the red-crowned crane, one of the most beautiful birds in the world. But no, they went with this thing that looks like a giant Muppet and has, like, permanent googly eyes and mm-hmm. a, a permanent smile and, like, a banana-shaped bill. Uh-huh. And it so is. I, I was looking up key artwork for Skyward Sword and I came across one picture that was clearly fan art like really really lovingly done fan art of Zelda and Link on the back of a loft wing like getting kissy with each other under a full moon like it was supposed to be romantic but then the bigger character the biggest character in the composition like the biggest face in the composition is this doofy like Pelipper looking guy and it just destroys all like like dignity of uh of your boring ships. That's so funny. It's I love how goofy some of the stuff in this game looks. Like I really like it when Zelda doesn't take itself too seriously, which is why whenever I talk about like the rankings of my Zelda games, the more serious ones tend to be near the back. Like I do think Twilight Princess is a good game. I adore Midna, one of my favorite Zelda characters of all time, but the game is just largely so serious and just, there's very little room for people being goofy in it. And even though I think that Majora's Mask is a darker game than Twilight Princess in terms of like tone and the actual like story that's happening, it's it's a darker, more depressing story. I feel like the characters really elevate it to a point where it, that doesn't matter. There's still room for characters to be goofy and stuff. And okay, that's a lie because there is the fucking baby from Twilight Princess who's like the goofiest character to ever exist maybe in a Zelda series. But like, for the most part, I just, I really appreciate things like the the fucking loft wings just being just really goofy guys, just just really funny. They're, 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 he's literally a funny guy. That That's mm-hmm. what he is, so... Yeah, this like flagship game from a billion dollar video game company is, you know, not taking itself too seriously, and I like that. Um, so as far as characters, I've heard mm-hmm. you say that this is the best Princess Zelda in the whole series. Yeah. Is it because they let her have bangs? Yeah. <laughs> it is. Well, okay, that's not the only reason. I also like it when Zelda gets to 
have more of a personality, the more she gets to kind of not just be a stuffy princess, the more fun I think it is. So I really, really like that here she gets to just be like, a friend. She's not a princess. She is someone who goes to the academy with you. She is your like your friend from childhood. So you're really close. So and then she she realizes that she actually does have this deeper importance as the story progresses, of course. But I do really like that that's what she gets to be here. Um, and then it does really help that they get to let her design be so cute. I love her bangs. They're really cute to me. Um, I love her little pink outfit. It's just a really good one. It's like, instead of looking like a really princessy dress, it's just kind of like, I don't know, she's just like a teenage girl. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the other main character we meet in the opening is, of course, Groose, the original himbo. Groose! So I guess I should explain. Um, so my boyfriend, Matt, and I, uh, overlord of the Noise Space Podcast Network, we were recently talking about whether or not Groose was a himbo when we were just out for a walk and being like, well, is he, is he likable enough in the universe of the game to be a himbo? He's definitely, like, large. He's mm -hmm. definitely stupid. <laughs> okay, yeah, I see what you're saying. He doesn't really have a fan club in the game. It's more outside the game. Outside the game, he is very well loved, I would like to say. I don't think I've met anyone who has actually played Skyward Sword and been like, ah, fuck that guy. I hate Groose. He sucked. He ruined the game for me. <laughs> like, everyone who plays Skyward Sword loves Groose because he's literally perfect. Like, his hair is so stupid. When he lands on the surface and there's just birds climbing on his hair, and he's God. like, why are the birds so small? Like, you can't not love Groose. He's literally perfect. Yeah, he says, you're really imploding my mind right now. When he yes. explains the service to him, that line has stuck with me. <laughs> and then he says... Uh, he's like, okay, well, I'm just going to call it Grooseland because the surface doesn't have a name yet. So, you know, Hyrule is canonically actually Grooseland. Yeah, that scene is a real high point of the game for me so far. It's hilarious. Yeah, it's good. Groose does one problematic thing, though, which is boarding up the Crimson Loftwing in that tiny cave. That's animal cruelty. Yeah, no, he, yeah. But, you know, that just makes him a complex character. Nobody is truly evil or truly good. That's true. He has shades of gray. He, there are reasons they have, in order for him to have a successful character arc, you need to make him somewhat dislikable at the start. Like he needs to be an asshole. And like, I think anyone who knows me at all knows that I love characters who are rude. Yeah, mm -hmm. uh, Groose, he's got, he's rude. He's very much, He's an asshole, but not in a way that's completely irredeemable. It's not like he's like, I killed Link's loft wing so that he couldn't participate in the wing ceremony. Although that would have been kind of sick. Uh, hmm. Well, I don't know. It, it would have been a different game. <laughs> but yeah. it, it's not like they make him irredeemable, you know? True. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny how nothing bad happens to Goose after, even after like Alan or Horwell or whoever says, don't you dare mess with any of the other flyers in the flying competition. And then yeah. they just do in front of everyone. And it's like, there's no legal system on Skyloft. Goose can just there, do whatever he wants. Yeah, there has been no consequences. There is never a time when Goose was ever punished for anything. And he's just like, you and Zelda can get away with anything you want because you're the daughter of the headmaster and you're best friends and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, you get away with literally everything. <laughs> it's not like Groose gets expelled or anything like that. I just think there's no laws. Like if yeah. if two Loftwing Knights were stranded on an island and one of them killed the other with a rock, would that be fucked up or what? It would be fucked up, but it wouldn't be illegal. <laughs> Wait, there's one law, and that law is that you are not allowed to fly at night. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah, that's just more for public safety. I think so. But then, but like, when I was originally trying to uh, remember how to get to Betro, which, have you have you met Betro yet? Yep, yep. Okay, okay, good. When I was originally trying to get to Betro, I couldn't remember how I was supposed to do it because I didn't actually talk to the NPCs for them to give me the hints or anything like that. I was just like, I'm going to try to climb off this wall and uh, by the graveyard. And uh, I fell off, like, three times in a row, and they kept being like, don't go flying at night. And I'm like... <laughs> I was getting I was getting very frustrated. I, the first time I just didn't read their dialogue and I actually jumped off the cliff to try to like fly and uh and I then I tried to do it again immediately after and I was like, "Oh, I'm not supposed to do this. That's why <laughs> my loft wing didn't get called when I pressed the button." <laughs> I I thought you might learn how to fly at night at some point because of Beetle's Island which mm. like is so far away but it turns out you just have to go to sleep on his like radiator like a weirdo and then he takes yes. you there and what the hell is up with beetle at night i don't even know what is going on with him <laughs> i actually haven't gone to his island at night yet i know i have in the past because i've uh, i've 100 percented skyward sword twice before now so i know that i've been there but what does he do i forget well one of the prompts is like what's with your accent and it but it doesn't really seem like they're trying to make him talk in a different accent he just acts really weird and uses like much larger words than he would normally i love that for him i love beetle in this game i love when he throws you out of his ship uh, I, I literally will go onto Beetle's ship and not buy anything just to just to watch the animation because I think I, it's funny. I didn't even know that could happen. Oh yeah, go to go to Beetle's airship and then decide you don't want to buy anything. <laughs> See what happens. <laughs> wow, it's really funny. Uh, a, a couple of times I've gone up there recently because I thought I had enough money for another adventure pouch, but then it turned out I didn't. And then so it's like, ah, cool, I get to watch the animation without even that. That wasn't even my goal, but I get to watch it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well. I want to play a game, and the game is you and I will alternate just naming our favorite Skyloft characters. Okay. Uh, you can okay. go first. Okay, the first one who comes to mind to me is Beatrice, the item check girl. Oh, yeah. She is... She's a lot, because... Zelda doesn't exactly have, like, a romance system like other games do, but you can kind of romance Beatrice a little bit, because you can kind of, like, get to a point in the story where 
she asks you if you're interested and you can either say yes or no. And uh, I haven't actually gotten that far yet with her. I've only talked to her a couple times to get items from her because she basically sits inside the bazaar all day and she's just like, oh, uh, yeah, um, you're coming to talk to me again. Hmm, like, are you are you interested in me or something? <laughs> yeah, no, don't uh, don't bother me. I'm busy watching dust settle on my counter. Yeah, yeah. She's very uh, customer service lady, which I oh, love God. for her. <laughs> it was very funny going through the bazaar for the first time, like from the direction of the kitchen and first seeing Beatrice and immediately being like, oh, I love her. Like she's yeah. just exactly the amount of energy you should have for customer service. Oh, and absolutely. then going five steps and seeing Rupin, the gear shop guy, <laughs> and being like, oh, I hate him. This is the exact wrong energy. He, yeah, you can tell that they very much modeled him off of the um, happy mask salesman from both Ocarina of Time and Majora's Mask because he's in both games. He he very much has the exact same face as him, yeah, which is that. good. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like the theories of emotional labor between like deep acting and surface acting emotional labor. Uh Uh, And they're just, like, embodied by these two people. Although, really, it's more like Rupin is doing the surface acting because, like, actually at night he's allowed to be rude and normal. And then Beatrice is just not acting at all, which is the right approach. Yeah, no... She's fully just like that. Uh, it's it's so funny. She just like everything is on the table with her because it's like she you can tell she hates her job. Like what are they gonna do? Fire her and hire like <laughs> there's no there's no one who lives on this island. Um. So yeah, like she she's just telling you she hates the job, and then like at the same time she's also just laying it on the table. Her just insecurities about dating and being like oh of course you're not coming here to talk to me why would you do that like why would you come and talk to me i'm not pretty or anything like that Mm. and it's like chill it's okay i love you (laughs) i I already thought it was getting kind of awkward um Mm. that she was like jonesing after link because it's like link's not going to be able to give her what she needs we know this yeah no but but you've kind of talked me into it she she kind of needs she, I would like to see her with, um, what's his name, Fledge, where she could just kind of like walk all over him. Which one's Fledge? Oh, okay, yeah, the twin. Fledge is the, yeah, the like the guy who has like zero muscles and is trying to do push-ups. Uh, <laughs> the one who has like absolutely zero fucking constitution uh, and would sell you for one hot chip. Or, wait, how does the thing go? <laughs> he was. So- he would sell you for one corn chip, not hot <laughs> But he gets the muscles later, right? He does get the he does get the muscles later. He's just he he is very much a coward at the start of the game. <laughs> He's fine. Um, okay, I'll go. I love Malara, Pippet's mom. Yes. <laughs> she she's the woman who lives in the house that looks like somebody died in it. It looks like the Sculptula house, and you're oh, like, you okay, so yeah, you're like, what happened here? And then you talk to her enough times, and she's just like. No, I just don't like cleaning. It it's is like mood. It is literally the meme that's like, girl, you live like this. <laughs> like it's, it is bad. Like, it, and then Pippet yells at her for when you clean her place with the gus bellows. And it's just, it is horrific. Like you are blowing cobwebs off the mirror. You are like, there's dust all over the floor. It is disgusting. (laughs) 
And then she gives you gratitude crystals for it. And then Pivot just yells at her for spending the money on it. And I'm like, go off, queen. Like, I, I, I adore her for this. Yeah, I didn't know where they were going with that subplot. Like, it seems to imply that Pippet's family owns owes tuition money to the to the Knights Academy, and it's like yeah. the Skyloft Knights aren't like cops. They're actually doing a vital public service. You'd think their education would be like subsidized. You what is this like modern so? tuition concern? I don't know. It's like Pippet, go just cut some grass. Like you <laughs> really need twenty rupees. Like I don't know, but yeah, it's weird. I also read on the. Some on one of the Zelda uh, Zelda.fandom.com, I think. It Pippet is the only person who goes to the academy who does not live at the school. Oh yeah, that's right. He doesn't have a room. Yeah, because he lives there and he doesn't have a room. He lives with his mom, doesn't have a room. So I'm wondering like if he just can't afford to have a room there, and that's why. <laughs> because his mom keeps spending money for other people to clean the house. Mm. Or he got the local tuition. He may have gotten the local tuition, true. Yeah. Anyway, like, let Pippet's mom spend money hiring handsome young men to clean her house. It's fine. Truly. She is definitely like the, the MILF of Skyloft, <laughs> I think. All right, you can go. Okay, my next one is Stretch, <laughs> who is a bit more of a character than a lot of the NPCs on Skyloft, but Stretch is low-key like my favorite minor character from this game he is the tall friend of Groose who has the funny bowl cut and he loves bugs so much he will he will you know not compromise his reputation so he'll only buy bugs from you at night mm-hmm. <laughs> but he's he is obsessed with bugs. He's like, oh, not to say that Groose isn't an amazing bug, but I, I, I love bugs more than I even love Groose. <laughs> that is funny. <laughs> it's, it's some good environmental storytelling how the rooms in the Knights Academy are like, they're, sh- they're actually shared, but there's like walls dividing them up. Uh-huh. And Stritch and Colin are like crammed into this tiny little hallway because Groose has pushed that wall so far to fit his like weight bench. <laughs> it's so f- Oh my god, and Groose has a punching bag with your face on it in his bedroom. Yeah, I Which is so funny. And then he has a portrait of himself on the wall. But yeah, it's so funny that their room is so tiny for two people in one. It's just like... Oh god. But then when Groose gets to the surface, uh Colin, the other guy, he has like he's like, I'm not afraid of Groose, I'm taking his room for my own. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is good. Yeah, I, I haven't been a big fan of uh Stritch. Because he's like such a downgrade from selling bugs to Flick in Animal Crossing. Like Flick is so uh, proud yeah. and genuine and loving bugs, and this guy's like ashamed, and he'll only sell you three at a time or like three different ones at a night. It's like why the limit? Yeah, it's, he is different. I think part of the reason why he's so endeared to me is because he is very much a relative podcast to us. Uh, there's, a, there's a podcast on the Noise Space Network called Slappers Only, and they do video game music. Uh, they like they only they talk about like the best songs on different video game soundtracks. Anyway, uh, host of that podcast, Max, it's literally him. Oh, and I so see. I think he he endears he's endeared to me because he's literally Max, who also loves bugs and is mm. blonde. <laughs> 
so every time I talk to Stretch, I'm like, oh, that's my friend Max. <laughs> Max, uh, we're sorry if you're listening to this. But. No, he, he very much uh, also is like, yeah, that's me. Uh, okay. I, uh, I actually guested on their podcast to talk about the Skyward Sword soundtrack a while ago. When, when the game was first announced, they were like, okay, well, why don't we do Skyward Sword as one of our next episodes? And uh, we've, we very much talked about how... <laughs> How he is stretch. Mm-hmm. Um, have you seen his bug island yet? In Animal Crossing? Or no, in, in Stretches. In Skyward Sword. Sword. I have not. Yes. I don't know when you get to see it because I haven't seen it yet either and I haven't particularly tried to find it yet. Um, I believe it's in the Thunderhead. Hmm. But... I, yeah, I don't know when you get to get there. Oh, but maybe, maybe I has, have. It, does it have like a yeah. rainbow and a bunch of flowers on it? It's not that one, because I did go to that island when I went to the Isle of Songs. Um, I think that one's just... I forget what that one's for. I don't remember if it has a purpose. There's another island in the Thunderhead, though, that is the uh, Bug Island. Well, we should talk about Colin, too, the other crew slacky. Um, yeah. Because his... <laughs> the event with his love letter... It like yes. forced me to make multiple saves just to see what both sides of that. It's so mean to the player to make you choose between giving his letter to like a toilet ghost to wipe its ass on and uh-huh. giving it to uh, a girl and like seeing him get his heart broken. It's very hard to choose between those. Yeah, it's that's rough. I I haven't given it yet. I actually just got his letter earlier today. I think I'm going to give it to the toilet guy. Um, it's it's rough, though. There's there's actually a couple Gratitude Crystal quests where you have more than one option, and Beatrice is also one of those ones. When oh, you get that's there. good. Yeah, so that's kind of a fun one. Um, I think I'm going to give it to the toilet ghost, p- partly just because I really love that the Zelda series has made toilet ghost a recurring character like he's in Majora's Mask he's in this game there's other Zelda series staple ghosts in the toilet yeah I just I don't know why they decided to make that a thing but (laughs) I'm so happy they did a great recurring character (laughs) all right let's let's name off a few more NPCs uh you're a big Lord of the Rings fan which Peter yeah. Jackson's Lord of the Rings characters are Alan and Horwell? Okay, yeah, my very every time I talk to them, I'm like, you literally look like Elrond. Um, <laughs> okay, so I have to remind myself which one is the white-haired one and which one. Uh, I think Horwell is the Horwell is the brown-haired one. I think. Yes. Okay. Horwell looks more like Elrond because he is the brown, long brown hair with like the elf ears. To me, he's so Horwell is the one who has the cat tree in his bedroom, and <laughs> he has like the massive cat tree. He's got like the cat wand, and I don't actually remember what the those uh, pets are called. They're not actually cats. They're like, oh, they're remlets. Right? Mm, they're yeah. remlets. Um, to me. He's definitely an elf, but he's absolutely not Elrond, even though he looks like Elrond. He's more of like a Celeborn to me. Celeborn is Galadriel's like husband guy. And he's kind of like, I don't want to say less important because he definitely does stuff. But like, he's, to me, Elrond is just very serious, which is what makes me think Owlin is more uh, Elrond, even though he's got the white hair. 
They kind of have they kind of have reverse aesthetics in terms of like long blonde hair versus long brown hair. Yeah, that, that's kind of my interpretation. But I do see both of them and go, oh, this is Elrond. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know who either of those are, but I, I just remember seeing that all the NPCs in Skyloft were based on birds, and these two are supposedly based on the Rito from Wind Waker. Yeah. But I'm like, these are clearly Lord of the Rings. They're very, yeah, they do very much look like elves from Lord of the Rings, way more than other characters do. I do like that the characters all do seem to be named after birds, though. That's really cute. Um, I really like that the fortune teller is like, Sparrow, but instead of being spelled like Sparrow, it's spelled like Tarot, like with the O-T at the end of it instead of O-W. That's a really cool, that's a really cool name to me. And I also just like that he looks like that. Yeah, big, beautiful eyes. (laughs) Big, beautiful eyes, big, round head. Uh, He will just tell you, he'll give you advice if you need to know where to go next. And he'll give you, um, I think like if uh, at some point, I think if you're like trying to figure out like what heart pieces you're missing, I think he'll kind of give you advice for that. I haven't really talked to him a ton this playthrough so far. Um, Oh, that reminds me of something that I completely forgot about bringing up earlier when we talked about like this game versus the original uh, in terms of advice that you get. So this guy will give you advice if you ask for it. In the original game, okay, we actually haven't said her name yet. Fee or Fi, however you would like to say it. I'm going to say Fi, I think. I like Fi. I think that's how I read it in my head. Yeah. Um, In the original game, Fi would absolutely give you unsolicited advice, what felt like constantly. It was all the time. Now, if you want her advice, you have to press a button to get it. And sometimes your sword will glow when she has advice to give you, but she will not pop up like all the time to tell you things. And I think that is possibly the biggest quality of life improvement that this game has over the original by like a nautical mile. Like it's insane. It's so much better. Yeah, I've had no negative feelings toward Fi whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And in fact, I kind of like calling on her when I'm targeting an enemy so that she can give me like their Pokedex entry. Yes! Yes, she's really good for that. She's great. Um, I didn't really dislike her that much in the original, but even if she even if she wasn't constantly popping up to tell you that what you were supposed to do next so that it wasn't even, you know, a challenge, she would pop up to say, Master, you're we remote batteries are at 10%. I suggest that (laughs) you change the batteries now. And it's like, oh, it's so nice not having to do that anymore. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Another uh, little change related to the characters, and it took me a while to even to like see this about the original game, but in this one, they put their names over every text box and that they didn't do that in the original. Which, like, seems like such a small change, but that totally, like, affects how you develop relationships to these characters. Like, yes. in, the, in the Colin event, he says, like, five times, like, oh, it's the girl with the round hat. And, like, bolded text, like, the girl with the round hat. And I'm like, dude, I know who Karane is. There's four students at this school. Yeah, I know for but sure. <laughs> if you're not always getting their name, it's, like, far more understandable that it would be that way. Yeah. I, I really like seeing the names a ton. There's also, I like, I'm sure this was in the original too, but I also just didn't remember the ancient robots having, like, full 
like digits in front of all their names, but I feel, I'm sure that was a thing in the original, but I'm just noticing it more now, maybe because of that. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get to, uh, there's not only a bunch of original NPCs in this game, there's also original races, uh, mm-hmm. rather than just like trotting out the Zora and the Gorons again. Although there's one Goron in this game and I love him. Uh, one single Goron, Ga- I love him. Gaknaba or Gorko. I'm Gorko. <laughs> yeah, Gorko. Yeah, I know, I like him. He He's just like, he has lived on the surface like, as far as he's been around, I guess. But he's very much just like, ah, curious. I've noticed these strange statues. Like, dude, you've been here the whole time. Like, <laughs> were they not here before? I love right at the start how much he gets wrong about Skyloft, where he's saying like, uh, an endless spring, or it's like stuff he gets half right. Like an, end- an endless spring of mystical water feeds a river through the place. Uh, if you drink it, it'll live forever. Uh, the fields are crowded with pumpkins that never rot. The buildings are all made of gold. And it's like, <laughs> some of those are kind of true or like only true because of video game logic. Like, yeah, yeah, I guess they didn't make an asset for a rotting pumpkin, so they all just stay fresh. Yeah? Well, the, I, your I pumpkin wish... soup gets cold, though. Not oh. rotting. It doesn't rot, but it can get cold. I wish they had kind of carried that forward. Like, Gorka is only really there to tutorialize for the player mostly. Yeah. But it would be funny if he just like gave you half wrong advice the whole game. Like <laughs> these goddess cubes, maybe you hit them with a skyward strike or maybe like if you bomb them, hearts come out. <laughs> it would be really funny if he just made you waste all your items. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, I like him. I like that there's one Goron and that's it. Uh, I like, I love the Gorons as a race in the Zelda series. I think they're just neat. Um, it just is really funny that they only made one. Mm-hmm. Like is the is canonically is he the only one? Is, is if we went deep enough into Elden, would we find more Gorons? They're just not in the part of Elden that we go to. Like it yeah. seems like they would want to live by the volcano, but I guess not. Yeah. Well, I think I think on the Zelda wiki, I saw there are like one or two more in minor roles in this game. Ooh, I don't even remember them. That's cool. Hmm. Yeah, maybe I was wrong. But anyway, I don't know what the implications are that he's like the only Goron. I think I think the developers just thought it was funny. Like, I'll just have one Goron. We like how he looks. Just have well, one he, walking around. He very much does look kind of just like a regular ass Goron. Like he looks similar to how you, how the Gorons look in every game. There's some races that get huge overhauls. Like for example, the Zora have looked very different in multiple different games. Like if you look at the Zora from Link. A Link to the Past compared to the Zoras in Ocarina of Time compared to the Zoras in Breath of the Wild uh, and yeah and etc. They look very different in like every single time. Uh, the Rito, the Rito between Breath of the Wild and Wind Waker also look fairly different. But then Gorons are just always Gorons. <laughs> yeah. There's nothing, like, there's minor differences. Like, they look more serious, I guess, in Twilight Princess, but they just look the same in every game, including the handheld ones, and I love it. Mm-hmm. I, lo- I love the trading quest ones in Wind Waker that are, like, in disguise. Yeah. Yeah, me too. It's good.
But in terms of the three main races that are in this game, uh-huh. um, I figure you would like these guys, the Kikwis. Yes, the, the Kikwis are my favorite. They're my favorite by far. They're kind of like the spiritual successor, well, depending, successor in the sense that this game came after Wind Waker, spiritual predecessor in terms of this game came before chronologically Wind Waker, but they're kind of the spiritual successors to the Koroks in a way. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and I think a lot of people have kind of a theory that the Koroks, the Kikwi, and the Kakiri are kind of all related races in just different eras somehow. Um, so it's kind of interesting to think, because I mean, they're, they're all like the forest area. They all live near a gigantic tree. In this one, the tree doesn't have sentience, but still they, they, they kind of fulfill that role. They're funny little guys. They all have names that are named after tea, different types of tea. So one of them is like Yerba uh uh-huh. they yeah if you look at all the kikwi names they're they're all some of them are a little bit more corrupted than others <laughs> in terms of how close to different kinds of tea they are um i want to grab some of the other ones let's see there's buka erla so erla's for like earl gray lopsa machi ulu or ulo and yerbal yeah them becoming uh, Kokiri would be a happy ending for them. Because I, I, I almost felt like the game was implying that these are like the last five Kikwis <laughs> that, that exist. Yeah, like, I think the, I don't... <laughs> the elder is like, where, where are all the Kikwis I know? And then you find three more of them. He's like, oh, good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's like, ah, shit, my children. They're so bad at surviving, they can only live in like the game's tutorial area where uh-huh. there's no scary enemies. It is very funny that there's just there are these enemies around all the time and they're just like their method of not dying is to literally just go in the fetal position and look like a plant. My favorite one that you have to find is the one that's trying to hide in a patch of grass. Yeah. And when you cut the grass around it, it like starts to scooch over to the remaining grass. Yeah. Like eat her, eat her. That <laughs> melted my heart. Yeah, that's very cute. They're I think they're one of the cutest things about Skyward Sword. I love there's some Zelda races that I'm very sad only appear in one game, and the kick we are definitely really up there. They are them and the Anuki from Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks are probably the two races that I wish would appear in more games, but they haven't yet done that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess this game wasn't that popular, and so like you didn't see the Kikwis everywhere, but they just look like they're made to be stuffed animals. They like do. I can see, I can see the seams just looking at them. Yeah, no, they're like that. They're definitely better to me than okay so the magma are the race that appears in the elden region like the fire volcano region they're fine i don't dislike them but they're kind of nothing to me Mm -hmm. i feel the same way about the robots honestly Ooh, interesting because i love the robots like the robots to me they're just little guys like i see them and i'm like oh you're funny you're cute you're funny you've got these funny eyes and these funny hands and just seeing them is a delight to me even if they don't have a ton of personality and i love that scrapper is rude (laughs) that's true he is rude and they are little guys um i like the yeah I like the broad shoulders on the magma. These guys are jacked. 
They are jacked. They're jacked, but then I feel like they're actual arms. Like, they don't really have, like... What is the part of your arm that's not the bite? Is it like a forcep? I don't know. Like the the parts of their arms that are like their forearms are just like nothing. <laughs> They're so <laughs> skinny. Uh, th- these guys are fine. They're kind of funny. They um, I don't know. They they haven't they they appear a little bit in the Elden region when we first been there. I feel like we're gonna see them a bit more when we go back to the Elden region after. Um, but yeah, they're they're fine. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start getting into the temples like before we do Girahim or just like go straight to Girahim? Maybe let's go to Girahim first, just because we're already talking about characters and there's so much to just, there's so much to unpack with Girahim. I love him so much. (laughs) Yeah. Girahim, basically the gay coded Disney villain of this game. Uh And like a good di- gay-coded Disney villain, has like the best motivation of any character in the game. Like, yeah, it does seem like it would suck to live on the surface and have like this utopian society floating in the sky. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm just obsessed with how they made him. They were like, we're gonna make this guy just an evil twink. And we're also going to make him, like, low-key kind of horny about it, where he'll just, like, stick his tongue around Link's ear and just start, like, being weird to Link. Like, they had no reason to do that, but they did it anyway. And so I'm just, like, saluting Nintendo for putting him in this game. I love him so much. I love the first boss fight with him, where his attack pattern is, like, okay, he has this this like sick sword but he just dematerializes it and then his attack pattern is just strutting menacingly at you with his hand up (laughs) yeah how about the first time he grabbed your sword when you tried to swing at him you're just like oh i guess (laughs) Uh you're gonna do that huh (laughs) yeah uh i really like battling girahim i think it's one of the better fights in terms of using the motion controls because I find that sometimes, like, I like doing the Stalfos fights as well, but I find that sometimes they require me to be a bit quicker in my precision, whereas with Girahim, like, when you have to swipe the the pointy things that he throws at you, I feel like you have a bit of time to, like, really ready your sword in the position. Um, I I love fighting him. He's, he's hilarious to me. He is probably my favorite Zelda villain maybe tied with Vati from Minish Cap and the Four Swords games. He's Vati is very similar to Girahim in some ways, which is that he's very gay-coded to me because he just looks like... He just looks very, like, extremely rude, but also very, like, in a gay villain way, mm-hmm. which, yeah, you can say it's problematic and and stuff but the thing is does very much appeal to me as a character design yeah so and in comparison thinking about his motivations again like Link and Zelda just kind of do what they're told so far through the whole game yeah how do you feel about Impa oh well yeah she's not she's not in it a ton in the first half but she's a cool design I like how she's like seven feet tall yeah I really like her character design in this game. I feel like this is the first time I ever saw Impa in a Zelda game, and I thought she actually looked really cool, because 
earlier Zelda games, she's kind of just like either... She has a cool design in Ocarina of Time. I didn't really appreciate it as a kid because I didn't know I was gay then. Um, <laughs> but then she has a very motherly design in some of the other games, which I kind of don't really care for that much. And in this one, she's just like fucking cool as hell. So Yeah, she's a killer. Yeah, that's good for her. That was the other Gorko moment I really liked is after Impa and Girahim have like this epic clash after... Uh, what was it? The Elden Volcano, the Earth, yeah. Earth Temple. Yeah. Uh, no, it was in the. It's in the Lanaru oh, Desert. Right. It's right after the Manning Facility. And, yeah. and their clash like destroys the entire door to the Temple of Time. And then as soon as you yeah. get control of Link, you turn around and Gorko's there outside the rubble. Like, what happened? <laughs> I love that. And my other favorite thing about that is that. The next thing you're supposed to do, Impa tells you that you need to go back to the sealed grounds and talk to the old lady, and then that's where you fight the imprisoned. You, When you fly back there, like one second later, Gorko is already there. <laughs> like, even if you just go right there from the bird statue, like, it's like, he's already there. Like, how'd you get here so fast, Gorko? You were literally just in the desert. I don't understand, <laughs> yeah. but it's funny. Well, do you want to talk about the first dungeons a bit, or save them until the next episode? Uh, we can talk about the dungeons, because uh, we've only done three so far, um, and we've only been going for like an hour so far, so the, the first three dungeons are solid. Um, I will say that the, the Lanaru mining facility of the three first dungeons is the only one that's like particularly memorable to me, but it doesn't mean the first two are bad. It just means that they're like a little bit, they're kind of just a bit more generic. Whereas the Lanaru mining facility is the first one that really lets you try out like a cool new mechanic. Cause like part of the entire thing about the desert area is that there's what's called the time shift stones where you can kind of like let a single area be in a different time period so like all of a sudden you hit this time crystal and then all this stuff comes to life and it like completely changes the area which is just possibly the coolest mechanic in the entire game to me uh and so the Lanero mining facility is just really cool for that purpose like all of a sudden these enemies come to life there's all these new things you can do in the re in the area that you couldn't do before um Lanaro mining facility was my tumblr url for like a couple years <laughs> back in <the laughs> back like 10 years ago <laughs> wow i didn't know that yeah um the first two were pretty cool too though like one of the <laughs> the the only time i've died so far playing this has been versus the fucking spider in the first dungeon same <laughs> uh, yeah i yeah one of the ones that was hanging on like a full web and you couldn't cut the webs even though it kind of looked like you should be able to and it would just like wiggle its pincers at you and and hit link for like two hearts of damage when you're five feet away from it still i was trying to <laughs> brute force my way through that and got my first and i think only death so far and then when yeah. i got back to that room it's like oh there's a vine right to the right of it and you can just go around yeah i died at a spider that you don't even have to kill it's one that is the one that um you know the room that has two spiders in it where there's like all the water and uh one of the spiders is just blocking a slab that probably just gives you advice i was trying to kill that one on like a narrow passageway uh 
I was having a really hard time jabbing. That's the problem is like the way that you kill them is you have to like get get them facing the opposite direction and jab the little circle on their belly. The jabbing motion is probably the hardest I've hardest thing I've had to do in this game so far. Although I didn't have that much trouble doing it versus the uh, Lanaru mining facility boss, which has a lot of jabbing in it. But mm -hmm. yeah, I don't yeah. know. I, that, yeah, I struggled. <laughs> Yeah, I haven't had problems with the jabbing, but when the sculptures start like swinging side to side, that can be tough for timing. Yeah, it is really hard, especially with like the camera being in the right direction and like the Joy-Con recognizing what you're trying to do. It and like you have to have really fast reflexes to get it to recognize that you're stabbing at the right time. It is just kind of a mess. So I died. I died there. That yeah. Um I'm trying to remember what else happens in that first dungeon that's kind of like cool. I do like the puzzle, well, not so much puzzle, but where you have to like make the eyes spin from swinging your sword around. I remember seeing that in the trailer to the game. And then when I got to the dungeon, I was like, oh, this just isn't even a challenge because they showed this so much in the trailers for Skyward Sword before it came out that everyone knows how to do this now. Yeah, maybe that was like on purpose because I have no idea how I would have solved that. <laughs> it would have taken me forever. Yeah. I, I think they do have a little slab in one of the rooms that tells you like, oh, I think there's a slab that gives you some advice about it. Okay. It's not it's not quite as bad as um, there's one in Phantom Hourglass where you have to blow into the mic to blow out a flame, which is like, I didn't even know that the DS had a mic <laughs> uh, back when I got Phantom Hourglass. So I had to look it up and I was like, are you kidding me? I have to blow into it. And there's another one where you have to close the DS to do a stamp. And it's like, excuse me? <laughs> like, uh, so it, it's not quite as bad as those ones, but yeah, it was kind of like, I, you, you already showed me how to do this. And then they have the same thing three, they have the same eye puzzle like three times. Uh, and I'm like, okay, this is, this isn't challenging anymore. Mm. Two pretty arachnophobe, unfriendly dungeons in the first three of these, I'd say. Cause the Linero, I do hate that. The Linero yeah. mining facility is full of little scorpions too. Yeah, I love those little guys, though. They're funny. Yeah, I will say Moldorok, the boss, I didn't mind him as much. I think because the claws are like big, meaty crab claws. So yeah. I'm just like, oh, those look like they taste good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, the whole time I was doing that boss battle, I was too distracted by the fact that like, it's just so funny that you blow wind at the sand and the sand just disappears. Like, it... <laughs> Instead of just getting displaced to a different part of the room, it just completely goes away. Mm -hmm. uh, which is the same as when you clean the woman's house in Skyloft. Like you blow the you blow the gust bellows at all of the sand and dust, and it just disappears. Which also, when you go to clean her house, she says, "I usually just wait for a strong gust of wind to come and blow it away." <laughs> uh, and I'm like, "Hello, in your house." Your windows mm. aren't even open because they're covered in dust. Yeah. You break all her pots and stuff too and she doesn't even seem to mind. She does not give a shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other one's the Earth Temple, which is kind of just a straightforward fire dungeon. The main thing that uh, got me a little bit tricked was that I kept forgetting that there were parts of the wall that I could bomb. And so I was like, how am I supposed to move forward here? And of course... Zelda does very much show you that there's a crack in the wall that you can bomb, but sometimes I'm just not looking. <laughs> I was thinking about that 
part in like 480p or whatever the original was. It must have been really hard to see. Yeah, it was definitely, uh, I mean, it, it was fine. I don't remember having particular trouble with it, but it's definitely kind of like one of those annoying things where if you're not looking into a corner in a very large room that has a lot of walls on it, mm. you know, you kind of have to get to the point where you're kind of exhausted of uh, what the hell else can I do in this room right now <laughs> to get through. Yeah, there is a trend of like big open rooms in these dungeons, which I appreciate. Yeah, and I think that is going to kind of continue a bit because I'm thinking about the upcoming dungeons that we have. The next one that we have has a ton of wide open rooms in it. Um, Yeah, there's four dungeons left and we've done three of them so far. Do you have any particular favorites of the three? <laughs> mm, uh, the the mining facility is pretty cool. Um, yeah. And, and I didn't mind. I thought the Earth Temple was pretty good. I might just like uh, the nice red and green, the like jade color scheme. Those colors yeah, complement like each other well. And uh, the, uh, what's the big, the Lazalfos. I love oh, the yeah. Lazalfos in this game. I like game. those guys. Maybe yeah, the only really thing. Good. I like almost as much as large bird boys as large lizard boys in video games. Large lizard boys, they're good. Yeah. Which makes sense because birds are basically lizards. Yeah, they're the same thing. They're just, they're like land birds. I like that. I like the boss in uh, in the Earth Temple. Uh, I think, is it Scaldera? I think. Yeah, he he's funny. He's just like a... You know, a lot of people will say Zelda bosses all be like I, and uh, (laughs) he's definitely one of those. Two out of three bosses so far have been like big I, uh, (laughs) which I I kind of love it, and I know that like not. The next one's not Big Eye, but it is very obvious target. And then the one after that is very much Big Eye. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to get to those. Um, The one last thing I wanted to bring up was how did you feel about the Silent Realm trial? Oh, that's right. Um, Yeah, for the. I mean, I don't know if they get. I'm guessing they're going to get more complex and frustrating later, but the first one wasn't too bad. Um, I only failed it on the first try because I was going for one last tier. I thought I could outrun this one guy by like going on the other side of a tree as him and it did not work. (laughs) He hit me like around the tree. Uh They're they're pretty scary. The guys they put in the silent realms, especially the one that like just kind of the slicey boy that just like floats slowly after you. That's like just to be menacing. Yeah. No, they're kind of terrifying and the music does not help because the music is just like dun, 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 and you're like I'm gonna shit my pants um the very first time I played Skyward Sword the, the silent realms were I really didn't like them the first time because I I think I just expected them to be kind of harder and I really did not want to get caught and have to redo it i'm really not usually a fan of like any kind of stealth type thing in video games not my favorite type of thing um but the first time i played skyward sword i actually didn't fail any of the trials on my first try until i got to like the last one um and so they're they're not as bad as they look but on subsequent plays of skyward sword i actually have really liked them like i 
kind of look forward to doing the silent realms now. I think they're fun because I like doing like collections and it feels like a little challenge. Mm. Um, I, I don't really think, I think most of them are kind of the same difficulty as this one. I'll yeah, say. it seems like it's yeah. kind of a navigational challenge as much as anything. So if you're navigationally challenged, I can definitely see like yeah. it being too imposing on the first go around. Yeah, I mean, having the beacons really helps, but mm-hmm. it, it's still just terrifying. I know there's a lot of people who are like, yeah, I really like Skyward Sword, but I absolutely hate the Silent Realms with my entire life. And <laughs> I do not blame you. Uh, they're kind of terrifying. <laughs> But I actually do like them. So I wanted to get that in for the first episode because I was like, I just want to I just kind of want to see how he feels about it, because I know that they're very divisive and uh, they're kind of fun to do. So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm open to playing more of them. Yeah, that's good. If you weren't, you would have you would. Yeah, probably not want to do some of the rest of this game. (laughs) Oh, so, yeah. Much still to talk about uh, with Skyward Sword. More dungeon talk in our next episode in part two of two. It'll be a full spoiler cast. We'll talk about all the way through the end of the game. Mm -hmm. Maybe talk a bit about the game's crazy soundtrack. There's like six hours of original music in this game. Yes. And this is what the first fully orchestrated soundtrack they ever did, I think, for Mm -hmm. Zelda. So it's insane. There's some really good shit on there. It's a really good soundtrack. Um, Maybe a bit more about the game's reception, um, where we think it ranks in the series. And Stephanie is one of the few people I know who actually owns the Hyrule Historia book with the Zelda timeline in it. I do own it. You can explain the implications of that on this first Zelda game. Yeah, I'm excited to talk about that because this was really them deliberately kind of fixing the timeline for the first time because they had... Uh, yeah, well, we'll get into it next episode, but I, I really like talking about the Zelda timeline. I have a lot of theories about it, and uh, it's it's fun to me. <laughs> it makes no sense, but it's fun. All right, that'll do it for Twink's Awakening. Thank you for listening. Bye.